So today we're going to be looking really at something of a vision. Sometimes at the beginning of a term or the beginning of a year, we'll do a vision Sunday and we lay out what we think God is asking of us during this year, some of the practical things. And actually, Ben is going to talk to some of that. But obviously, this year is a bit different. Have, have you noticed, anyone, it's been a bit different this year? Good. Uh, so I'm going to just talk from 1 Peter and chapter 4, really looking at some of the things that I think uh, we need to adopt if we're going to make a success of being City Church together in the next phase of our life, all together here in Bristol. But welcome, by the way, if it's your first week in Bristol, uh, there, there seems to be groups of uh, student-looking people wandering around Bristol looking either lost or excited or, or a combination of two. Uh, if that's you, then you are very, very welcome. It won't take you long. It's a great city. It's a great church. So you're very welcome. Uh, my name's Andy, by the way, if you are new <laughs> here. Um, so let me read uh, 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to start at verse 7. The end of all things is near. That's a good way to start, isn't it? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with great strength or with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We just remind ourselves in this moment that Lord, we sit under the authority of your word. Lord Jesus, we ask that by your Holy Spirit's power, you would apply the truth that we've read, that it would make a difference in our lives. We pray it would change how we think, how we react, how we behave, Lord Jesus, that we would line ourselves up joyfully with the truth as you have explained it to us. Father, help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. The end of all things is near, says Peter. And uh, it's felt a bit like that, hasn't it, for a while? It's felt like, oh my goodness, what's going to happen? Um, and we, maybe we will joke about that, but it's been a challenge these last few years. I think, I just want to say, you know, I've had some dark days, and you may have done too, you know, over the last, you know, 18 months, I don't know how long we call it now. It's been a long time. I had some days where I thought, is it ever going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? What about my family, children? What about... What about my parents? What about the people I love? Is it ever going to be okay? And that not just even a fleeting moment. Sometimes it's been days like that. And you may have experienced something of that too. I'd be very surprised if anyone would say, no, none of that, not felt anything. Because it's been a challenge to live through these days. And of course, it still is a challenge. And the challenges keep changing, don't they? The, the goalposts, I think the media wants us to believe, keep changing. They keep changing the rules. Or if I'm coming or going. How should God's church be? How should we be in the midst of all this? How are we going to re react? How are we going to be now? How are you going to be now? Now that's true for us as a church. It might be true for you if you just arrived in the city as a student. How are you going to be now? Now no one's really watching. Now it's okay to work it out yourself. How are you going to be? Well, here are some instructions for us to hear. Here are some instructions for us to follow. 
Peter says the end of all things is near. And although he means a different thing to the hearers, to the readers of 1 Peter, actually that does have a resounding truth to us, as we've said. We've had, haven't we? We've had online church. That's one of the many oxymorons <laughs> that we've been inundated with in the last few years. We've had online church. Just to say, to make that happen has been a phenomenal and incredible hard graft for many. And behind the scenes, people have learned how to do things they never dreamt they would have to learn how to do. I want to commend just the team like Tim and John Cooper and Ben and others who behind the scenes have made something in near impossible circumstances, many of the, much of the time, and made it work and meant that we are a cohesive body of people still. And here you are. Great to see you. Great to see so many of you. Yeah, absolutely. So we've had online church. We've been watching screens a lot, haven't we? The whole, the kind of aim to keep your kids' screen time down to however long it is, it just went, didn't it? That went a long time ago. We had, do you remember the city dailies? I, was, I thought we'd done about 150. How many did we do, Tim? you any idea how many we did? 200 and something city dailies. If you were tuning into our daily, uh, whatever those were, city dailies, uh, just thank you to everyone. Many of you contributed. And it was wonderful. Thank you so much. Just keeping us in touch with each other and reminding us of truth. Such an important anchor for our souls during this time. We've had home working. Some of you might, who's still working at home? Anyone still working at home? Some of you are. And that can be a great joy and a strain because you don't really know when you started or when you stopped. Uh, that's the challenge of working at home. We've had the next great oxymoron, social distancing. Yay! And we're still, we're not really doing that. We've got a big aisle here. But uh, we're kind of doing social distancing. We're not really sure about that now, are we? Do I hug them? Do I shake their hand? You know, if I was uncomfortable before, it's a good excuse not to have to do it. And then you've got your big bear huggers like James, haven't you? They just, ah, he's going to hug me. James is double jabbed <laughs> and not infected as far as we know. So, but these are things we've lived through and are living through. And then we're back to this another, I don't know whether it's an oxymoron or just kind of a contradiction in terms or two things that say the same thing, in-person meetings, and what other kind of meeting is there? There's no other kind of meeting. It's got to be, you've got to be a person to, be in a, to have a meeting, haven't you? So, in-person meetings, and we've lived through all of this and continue to do so, and Peter says, the end of all things is near, and we're like, yeah, I think I know what you mean. <laughs> Peter actually means this to those hearers as an encouragement, because Peter is writing to a scattered persecuted people. We know that persecution broke out in Jerusalem against the church when Stephen was stoned to death and they had to flee because it became okay then just to sort of physically attack the church and that began to happen and it continued to happen for centuries actually and so at any given time you could be under great pressure as a believer. It's unsure whether you could be open about your faith in a given context and Peter is writing to these People. And he says the end of all things is near. And what he means is this, your struggle, it's, like, it's not forever. What he's saying is not just, oh, you're going to die soon. What he's saying is there's a coming kingdom. There's a kingdom that's going to take over the kingdoms that you're experiencing. The, the rule and the reign of the Romans or whoever, whatever place you might find yourself. Actually, there's a coming kingdom. Live for that kingdom. 
live in the light of the goodness of that kingdom. And so they did. And when you read the New Testament to understand something of what they went through and the persecution they suffered and the way that they lived, we need to get that. They really believed that this coming kingdom was a real thing, something to give themselves to, to give their lives for. Now, just to say about this, that those early believers, they lived probably with the understanding, in fact, definitely many of them, with the understanding, the belief that Jesus was going to return and soon, probably within their lifetimes. And we might look at them now and say, oh, you were so naive. How did you, you know, that just, that you were so wrong. And yet there is something about that that meant they didn't love this life so much. They didn't love what they were building here physically, kind of practically in their lives. They didn't build this kingdom to the exclusion of the coming kingdom. They lived for Jesus' coming kingdom in a way that we don't often. And, but you might say to me, you might say, Andrew, or Andy, if you're not my wife, you might say, you might say, but this, surely this still isn't the, the last generation before Jesus returns. And I'd say, well, you might be true, but do you know what? It's definitely your last one. It's definitely your last generation. It's the last opportunity, the only opportunity we get to build his kingdom. And so as Peter encourages these believers, he's pointing them to a coming reality of a kingdom of peace and goodness, of God's rule and reign that the Bible says will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And he says, live for that. Live in the belief, in faith, that that kingdom will sweep nations and cultures and languages and countries and continents as it is doing and has been doing and will continue to do until Jesus returns. Live for that kingdom. He goes on, he says this, therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. One of the things that's worked, surprised everyone, I think, around the country, around the world maybe, uh, on Zoom, I said it, um, is praying. We prayed well. I have good memories of prayer meetings, some very large prayer meetings that we, we prayed and we will continue to pray. But that had worked very, very well. And what Peter is saying here is be sober-minded. He's saying it takes, it takes some organization for your prayer life to work well. Be alert and sober-minded. Why? Well, so you can pray. It doesn't just happen. For many of us, we'd like to think all oh, praying, it just sort of happens. I kind of remember when I remember, or if I'm on my own for a bit, or TV's off, or I'm not looking at a screen. But what Peter, obviously, is not thinking about those things. But he is saying this, be alert and sober-minded. Prayer doesn't just happen. It needs to be organized in to your life. And in the midst of the challenges faced by these hearers, he's saying there's priority one for you, both individually and corporately. Be those who pray. Come before God with joy. Be worshippers. Be those who remember the good things that God has done for you. Casual approach to prayer, as I said, doesn't really work. And Peter equates sober-mindedness, clear thinking with an organized and successful prayer life. I think if I asked you, how, you know, are you happy with your prayer life? I'm not going to ask you. It would be embarrassing. I, I guess how many few of us would be, yep, I got it sorted. We kind of know it's a challenge. And in our modern world, it's even more of a challenge. But why? Because we have huge amount of mental distractions. Sober-mindedness will lead to prayer. Just to say as well that a prayer life that is full of worship, 
which of course we know from the Lord's Prayer, that's what it starts with and continues with actually, that reminds us of God's goodness and his glory that's biblical, that is reminding ourselves of God's kindness, that is brimming with thankfulness, is very good for our mental health too. Many, many psychological studies over very long periods of time would say this, gratitude is good for you. Living a life of gratitude, living and out working, out speaking, expressing gratitude is good for your mental health. It starts, what, with a prayer life that's full of worship and gratitude for God. That gratitude will spill over into your life, spill out to gratitude to others. Getting used to being thankful is a very, very healthy thing to do. It's not everything, of course, but it's part of a much bigger story. Maybe Peter had his own experiences of prayer in mind as he was writing this. Of course, in Gethsemane, he, along with the other disciples, fell asleep as Jesus was facing the agonies of the cross to come. Maybe he's just saying, listen, we weren't then sober-minded. We weren't organized. We just, we just missed it. We missed this great moment to be involved in praying for Jesus at that difficult, terrible pivotal time. Maybe that's what he was thinking. But he goes on and he says this. This is what I'd like to focus on really for the next few minutes. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. In answer to how should we be now, how are we going to move forward together? This, I think we should write this over ourselves, reminding ourselves of the godliness of it, the Christ-likeness of these words, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. And we might think, well, I'm happy with the first part, but what about covering sin? That's not what we're supposed to do, is it? Aren't we supposed to deal with sin? Aren't we supposed to repent of sin? Aren't we supposed to confess our sins to one another? Aren't we supposed to kind of point things out to each other so that we can stop sinning? Isn't that how, what's, what does he mean? What's he talking about? And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded of being a child. And um, yes, it was a long time ago. But I was reminded of being a young child, kind of primary school age. And, and as a, in, our, in our house, in our family, we would, we would uh, three children, two, my two sisters and I and my mum and dad, we would kneel by the sofa and then we'd take it in turns just to pray. And it would be a very quick thing, but we would do it. Um, I can't remember if it was every day, every few days, I can't remember. My little sister, she's nearly 50 now, but she always will be... a about six in my head, and, uh, and we would kneel down to pray, and we would get to her, and she would start praying, dear Lord Jesus, I thank you I'm not like Rebecca, who wouldn't share her toys with me this week, and she, uh, so her praying was exposing the sins of others. I don't think that's what Peter's talking about here, although some of us, you know, I think sometimes us feel a bit like we're like my little sister at the age of five or six. Maybe Peter had in mind what it says in Proverbs 10. Hatred stirs up, but love covers over wrongs. Or maybe he was thinking of Jesus' own words in John 13, which say this, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So must you love one another. By this, everyone will know what that you are my What's the mark of a Jesus follower? How are they going to know? How does anyone, how do you know? You love one another. It's a primary, it's so simple. It's profound. You love one another. And then 
what Peter goes on to do. He says, this is how you do that. It's not just a vague thing. Well, I, I don't feel like I love everyone in the room, so am I discounted? Well, that's, tr- that's true for everybody. But the Bible is so practical. It says, here's some things you can do. And so taking these actions are part of our lining ourselves up with Jesus. Feelings come and feelings go. But actually, I think some would say, you know, to, to, to answer the question, yeah, but I don't feel like I love people all the time. Well, then just do the actions and the feelings will follow. And that could be true too. Peter says this, love each other dearly. He says this, first and foremost, love each other. And then probably we just need to tidy this up. What, what do we do about the truth thing? What about this? Do I tell people about their sin or do I cover their sin? Well, Tim Keller says this in, the, in terms of the relationship between truth and, and love. He says, truth without love is just harsh. It's harshness. It gives us information, but in such a way that we can't do anything about it. It just beats us with truth. Have you had, you know, people like that, they just come and they just kind of beat you. Either they fire Bible verses at you from the hip. You're obviously not doing that. Uh, maybe that's what you think I'm doing right now. But, but some people are like that, aren't they? They're just like, whoa, where did that come from? Oh, wow. Cool your jets. And actually, it doesn't, I, I'm not inclined to respond positively in those moments when someone just tells you it straight like that. And then he goes on, Keller goes on to say this, love without truth is just sentimentality. It supports and affirms me. Our culture loves that. But, but it keeps us in denial about our flaws. It doesn't actually help. You know, I, I go away feeling like I'm really important and everything's fine, but I don't change. And Jesus loves us way too much not to want to change us to be like him. So we need both those things. We need truth and love together. So love in this context looks to lovingly restore, not harshly expose one another. And maybe that's one thing we can do as we find our way back towards each other in these times in which we're living Lovingly restore people. Don't harshly expose them. In that sense, we're covering for them. Brothers and sisters, it says in Galatians 6, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore the person gently. Kindly. Gentleness, kindness, these are fruits of the Spirit, aren't they? This is how we're to do this. But Peter continues. He says this. He says, of course, he says, forgive each other. Give whatever sins you might have, whatever grievances you might have. Keep a short, keep a short account with people. And that's a good thing to do. And he says this. He says, practice hospitality without grumbling. How are we supposed to do that when you can't have someone in your house? How am I, come on, Peter. How am I supposed to do this then? Can't have anyone in my house. Uh, how am I supposed to practice hospitality? Well, we can begin to have people in the house, ones and twos. Be gracious with people who find that difficult. But I think he means more than that. And hospitality means so much more than just that. It means this. It means welcome people into your friendship group. That's being hospitable. Some of us, as we get a bit older, we're like, no, I've got enough friends, thanks. Have you ever heard someone say that? I've got enough friends. I'm not looking for any more. All the slots are filled. It's done deal. There's no, there's no space here. And the tragedy of the church is sometimes it feels like that to people coming in. And it can feel like that in a busy church, lots of young people like this one. After the meeting, 
everyone's trying to find the person that they really want to see. And it's easy to get lost. And we can feel like, it can feel like, hey, all this lots of fear. Hospitality makes room, makes space for each other. And let's just remember that. And I know we're all keen to see each other. I'm thrilled to see people I haven't seen for a very long time this morning. Really thrilled. It's a joy. And there are people I've never seen. It's a joy to see you too. You're important. You're very important in God's family. Made in God's image. Probably brought here for a real significant purpose. Let's all remember that as we make space for one another like Peter instructs. Love doesn't keep records of wrongs. It says that, doesn't it, in 1 Corinthians 13. It's Paul that time saying it doesn't keep record of wrongs. It doesn't just keep a negative list of what people have done. As we've been separated for so long, sometimes those things are fade and we just end up with this kind of, oh, I don't really like that person. Guys, don't let that happen. Just work that through in your own heart. Let's be those who are quick to forgive, remembering what? That he has forgiven us. Forgiveness has been forgiven. He did it first. He's the one who took the initiative, made the sacrifice, said, your sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. And as we come to him repentant, as we come to him contrite, as we come to him saying, I, I, I've got it wrong, he is forgive, he will wash clean that sin. Repentance leads to, to actual sins being properly covered by the blood of Jesus. That's what he does. Let's be like that with each other. Peter then says, he says, use whatever grace gifts you have to bless other people. Simple, easy, as it, as it were, hard, of course, to do. Let's offer ourselves our gifts to make the lives of others better. We live in a world which increasingly is, is kind of marked by ruthless self-promotion. Have you, have you seen that? Have you seen our polit politicians, how that's kind of changed in a while, in the last few years? That can be so much about self that it's to the detriment of any kind of views, really. But it can also be true for us individually. It's true online. It can be. It's not, it doesn't have to be, but it can be. It can sometimes seem like this. It's, success is measured in likes and followers and subscribers. As I build my personal brand and share my brilliance with the world. Behind a bunch of filters, of course, because I wouldn't want to see you as I really want to see me as I really am. That would be horrendous. Now, listen, how some of us I know we have, I've talked to some of you about this. I know you have influence, and the joy for some is that you th you're thinking, how can I use these this influence I have to bless others? How can I use this to serve God's kingdom? But the, the, but often it can just be about me. Build my brand, share my brilliance. Love delights in somebody else getting the limelight. It does. It delights in somebody else being thanked, somebody else being praised. Love delights in it. It doesn't, doesn't feel as if that's a slight on me. Love doesn't do that. Love delights in somebody else getting the headlines. It really does. Let's be that kind of people. Let's delight in others and let's use our gifts and our influence to bless other people. It is 
hugely fulfilling and satisfying to use the gifts God has given you so that somebody else would win. So that somebody else crosses the line first and we stand at the side cheering, even if you've had a big part to play in it, but not pointing towards yourself, pointing towards them, ultimately pointing towards our saviour. Use the grace gifts God has given you to promote and to bless other people. Let's be that kind of people. Let's live that way now. And then Peter says something, I think, which is maybe the most surprising thing of all the things he says. He says, when you speak, remember you're speaking the very words of God. We're like, whoa, hang on, Peter. Are you overstepping the mark here a bit? You know, we might be believers. We're precious. You know, we're born again. We have the spirit of God. But the very words of God, what does he mean by this? Well, I think what he means is he's reminding us that that's what our life is about now. We are ambassadors for Christ. You are the gospel to those around you. You're the most of Jesus that some people are ever going to see or ever going to hear. Be, be reminded of that. Peter and these disciples, when we said they lived for this coming kingdom, they really lived for this coming kingdom. They lived in the good of it. They lived in the light of it. They knew that their influence, they knew that the power of the Spirit upon them in any given moment was for this purpose, to make much of Jesus, to point towards their Savior. And so it's as if the, the words on their lips are the, the voice of God himself. It's as if God is with the people around, as if they're representing ambassadors for Christ himself. Let's live like that too, reminding ourselves of the closeness of this coming kingdom, the presence of his spirit upon us. He still marks your days. He still guides you every step, even though we haven't made many steps. How many people have been doing steps on your phone, you're like, I'm trying to get up to 10. Why is it 10,000 steps? Jimmy Carter? Anyway, we're trying to do kilometers or steps or whatever it is. The Bible says this, he commands our steps. He lights our way. He guides our steps. Not to keep us fit, but to direct us. And he will, and he is, and he continues to do that. Peter's not asking us to do anything that Jesus hasn't already done. Jesus has covered our sin removing it as far as the east is from the west. The repentant heart is forgiven. Come to Jesus, repent, say, Lord, I know I've got it wrong. I need your help. I can't do it on my own. And he will rush to you, cover your sin, remove your guilt. He's done it over the centuries. He continues to do it today. He welcomes you into his family. Love to be a family as a church. That's one thing that's been robbed a bit from us. Love to be with God's family. Love to be in the room together. It's just nice to be together, isn't it? Jesus welcomes you into his family. Jesus treats us with dignity and love like a father does his children. Listen, friends, looking at me, and I went over time before, and I'm sure I'm going over time now. Time now. Um, I'm, I, was just, I mentioned the Laurel and Hardy thing. I'm just hoping that works. We're living in an age of conflict over everything. People are angry about everything. It's kind of how you've got to be now. Take a side and then shout. That's kind of what it's got to be like. Love each other in conflict. Life's become frustrating, hasn't it? Very frustrating. 
increasingly frustrating. Even now, it's frustrating in the church. So, you know, are, are we going to be doing, is my group going to be online or in person? Which is it? Both? What do you mean both? How's it going to be? Love each other. Have I got to wear a mask or not? Am I supposed to be angry with people who do wear masks or people who don't wear masks? Where's the hand sanitizer? I'm annoyed. Love each other dearly. Love each other dearly. Take time. Think about how someone else will be feeling. They'll be very scared people for a long time to come. People who feel they can't be in the room. People who've just lost it to be in a room together. Love each other dearly. This, brothers and sisters, is how we demonstrate that we belong to Jesus. It's the mark of it. Is that what they call a mic drop? You might want to drop the volume now that it's me, Foghorn Welshman. Thanks so much, Andy. It's such a helpful biblical encouragement about how we should live uh, coming out of this pandemic. And what I'm going to try and do, hopefully very briefly, is kind of earth this into, so what does this mean for us about how we're working out God's call on us? as a church. Um, Love should be the mark of our mission to reach the whole of Bristol with the gospel, shouldn't it? And it also means that uh, people are led on adventures of faith. So even since we shared the five-year goals, um, Jamie and Debbie have felt that it's time Uh, to move on the thing that has been in their hearts for many years, to plant a church. They feel like God has led them, that now is the time to go and do that. And so as elders, whilst we would dearly love them to stay, we know that it's right to um, send them, which will probably be the early part of 2022. And so that means there will be a leadership transition at Bradley Stoke, and that will require, require faith. Uh, for those people up in that site, but for us as a church, think how Jamie has served us so brilliantly uh, in City Kids and in leading, particularly in terms of outreach as a church. And Jamie is a tough act to follow, and, and he and Debbie have been absolutely magnificent for us as a church. So we need to be a people of love, but we also need to engage faith to be able to Uh, follow God and pursue him in the things he's called us to do. So let's dig into it. The five-year goals that we shared earlier this year uh, to help us take steps towards our vision of helping Bristol believe. The first two goals kind of relate to what I've just said really about reaching um, people with the gospel, and they were about sites and cities. Have I got sites and cities? It'll it'll appear in a minute. Um, And we're obviously just at the beginning, aren't we, of regathering, and like Andy was talking about masks and, you know, is it okay, or all that kind of stuff. Uh, We're just at the beginning of that, and I'm looking at James at the back there, because each site is facing the challenges of, have we got enough Uh, volunteers for our children's ministry, can we run City Kids and Sparklers this week, all those kinds of things. So we're all facing that. 
And actually, in one sense, the pandemic has been great for our togetherness, hasn't it? We function more like one church over the last year and a half rather than in our three sites. And, w- and we must keep that kind of togetherness, like Andy's talked about, loving one another earnestly. The way we do that is by keeping that sense of unity and togetherness. So when one site is having challenges, then, then that's actually a challenge for all of us. And when one site is seeing amazing breakthrough and people coming to faith and they haven't got enough Sundays to baptize people and things like that, then we all celebrate, don't we? We don't get into this parochial, well, it's just about me and my site or my ministry or my connect group or whatever it is. But once we are kind of up and running and and hopefully healthy uh, and seeing more and more people coming in, it's our hope that there will be more sites in Bristol and there will be more cities that we plant into. And cities, take that as a banner. You know, we're, we're not just, I'm sure we won't just plant into cities. We might plant into towns and villages and the countryside and things like that. But that is the means by which we keep sharing Jesus with more and more people. And we believe that God is going to lead us to other places. So Jamie and Debbie is just like a, you know, like a a glimpse into what that will be. But we hope there will be a future of many, many more people, many leaders and teams of people going to plant churches in the UK, but hopefully in other nations around the world as well. And we haven't got some great plan for that. It's not like, well, uh, we're really clever and we've got this seven-point plan of how we're going to do that. In verse 11, it said, by the strength that God supplies, we are relying on him to provide all that we need. And to be involved in more sites and cities, we'll need God to provide more leaders to be trained. And developing leaders was another of the goals uh, that we shared earlier this year. We want to develop leaders at every level of the church, as well as equipping people to live in different spheres of life. So it's not just we need more elders or we need more connect group leaders, but actually we need more leaders in business that are going to bring the kingdom of God. We need more leaders in education and politics and the arts, etc. And we've created a leadership development program that equips men and women to grow in the way that God has called them. And although we've been limited in many ways, and, and you know we've been very aware of all the things we can't do, actually in the last year, we've been able to run five different leadership development groups, uh, training over 40 people. And so uh, we've, had a, we've run a seminar for people that are just interested in leadership. We've run a, a group uh, that's aimed at people just beginning to grow as a leader. We've run two different groups that equip people to lead teams and ministries. John Cooper, who's our operations manager, has run a group to equip people to kind of operationally and practically support in our different sites, basically helping other people to do the things that he does so well. And 
I've been able to gather a group of young people to train them to hopefully lead connect groups of their own in the future. So we want to develop people right across the whole spectrum of the church. Another demonstration of that is Tom Wilson. Tom, I'm just going to embarrass you and ask you to stand up. Um, uh, Tom is, has just started a year with us interning. Yeah, you can sit down. You've been eyeballed enough. Um, Tom's just started interning with us a day a week. Um, and so he was involved in one of those leadership groups. Um, and Tom's giving a day a week to us to serve us as a church, as well as alongside some theological study as he kind of pursues, uh, you know, what has God called him to do with his life. And, you know, Andy talked about in those verses, using your gifts to serve others, to offer your life to make other people's lives better. And that's just one example of doing that. And that kind of attitude to serve is what we want to produce in leaders for our church, but for the city and for beyond. Time's running away. Another of the five-year goals was about the restoring part of our vision. Do you remember that? Restoring broken lives and ser serving the city. Um, and you saw my beautiful wife, Jess, on the video earlier on talking about uh, what God's called us to do in terms of serving the vulnerable and the disadvantaged. And God has gathered an amazing array of people across the church. I'm kind of blown away by, you know, you, we'd be, most churches would be glad to have just one or two of the kinds of cali caliber of people that we've got. Um, and it's always been our plan that as we draw people into our church community, as we meet people through street life, and encounter that we would be able to provide a home for people. Not, not just accommodation, but a home where they can find love, where they can be welcomed in. And we've developed, I'm sure you've already heard about this, but we've developed a partnership with a Christian charity called Green Pastures, who people invest in them, and then they have a pot of money, and they buy houses, and then partner with churches, and the churches run them as a home for people. And uh, Jess is leading on on that uh, on behalf of us as a church, and she's been given a budget to find a house. And so, if you're praying for that, please pray for the right house. We're looking for a, a great house um, close to one of our sites. Um, so that we can continue to support people and draw them into community. I'm so excited about all that God has done. You know, even whilst we've been limited, God has been moving things forward. Um, and he's working by his spirit, even since we shared those goals earlier in the year. Perhaps the most surprising way that God has moved things forward is in terms of buildings. So I'm sure uh, you've heard because of the visit of Scott Marks, who leads one of the New Frontiers family of churches in Southern Africa a couple of years ago, Stuart Eggleston and Paul Wood, two of our elders, started a group gathering business um, and community leaders uh, to think and pray about how they can use their gifts and expertise to build 
God's kingdom. And I think they thought that might lead to maybe starting some businesses or social enterprise or something like that. Actually, where God has led them is to look for a building. And that has led quite remarkably to a meeting with a developer called Gavin Bridge um, and his company, Spatia. And they are putting in a bid, uh, or have already put in a bid in the summer for the Debenhams building uh, next to the bear pit at the center of town. And what that partnership would mean would it would give us space and a platform uh, for us for ministry, for space for our team and our volunteers to work, uh, but also potentially space for social enterprise and maybe some accommodation for people as well. So that is incredibly exciting. It's an opportunity for us as a church to help shape the life right at the heart of the city and to bring transformation in the physical environment, but more importantly, to see God transform people's lives. So if, if you're new, if you're just joining us on the journey, then you are really welcome. Uh, I hope you're excited to hear about the way God is leading us. Let me summarize. Our vision is to help Bristol believe in Jesus. And in the next five years, to see another site of our church in Bristol, to plant another church, to provide a home for people that don't have one, to raise up leaders and to have, a, have buildings that would serve our mission and be a resource to Bristol. Now, Andy quoted that verse about prayer in verse 7. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Sober mind is like having an accurate assessment of things. Well, my accurate assessment is we don't have the resources or the plans to be able to make all those things happen. And therefore, we need to pray. I encourage you, be there at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night in Bradley Stoke, 7.45. If you haven't made a prayer meeting recently, then make sure you make this one. And we're going to take a moment now to pray. So will you stand with me? And I want to give you a moment to pray. You may feel particular excitement or passion about one of those areas that I've talked about, maybe one of those goals, or you may just want to pray for yourself. God, help me in, in all the muddle of my life and what's going on and I'm not sure and post-pandemic and masks or not. Uh, God, help me understand what is my part to play because this these endeavors take all of us, all of our involvement. So I, I'm going to give you uh, a, a minute to pray. And you may want to pray out loud. You may want to just pray quietly in your heart. Um, but let's do that all together. And then Dan's going to come and pray for us.